Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an OU fan podcast, and we're continuing with our NCAA tournament uh, coverage, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, the last two weeks, you've been hearing Alan Kinney and the Skinny kind of breaking down the best bets uh, of the tournament in each round, uh, but we're doing a little bit of a break from that, and this time we're going to bring on Christine Butterfield of uh, CT Insider, uh, formerly of the franchise, covering the Thunder. So if you're a local connection of the fan of the uh, podcast, you'll know her from their franchise days. But currently, she's up in um, up where the uh, what, what do they call ESPN up there, the mothership, um, up in Connecticut, covering UConn. And lo and behold, UConn's in the Final Four. So let's go. So, Christine, we're bringing you on here. Uh, walk. I mean, let's just jump into it right here. For Just for your professional side of it, UConn being in the Final Four, what does that do to you in your day, day-to-day life? Oh, it's a disaster. <laughs> it's a <laughs> disaster. Because um, obviously they haven't been to the Final Four since 2014. And they've had an outbreak year, so it's not particularly shocking that with this team constructed that they've made it this far. Although it is completely shocking that the women's side is now out of it. So because the women got out in the yeah. 16, now there's just like so much more of a push for men's coverage. So, you know, we've been going back and forth about really capitalizing on everything and, you know, <laughs> going all in. So it's been a lot. It's been a lot, but in the best way because obviously like any time you're covering March Madness is the best time to me. So I'm like, I'm all good. You know? Now this isn't, obviously this isn't a, um, a final four mini predicted. I don't think anyone predicted. Uh, <laughs> if you, you, you are a liar and I will never trust you. There's no oh, way. For sure. There's just absolutely no way uh, in any way, shape or form uh, you've done this. I'm everyone is already out in my office pool. Uh, I finished third. And everyone's like, oh, you have a, a sports podcast. You should win. I was like, that's not how this works, buddy. Uh, uh, but, yeah, the, uh, I can't even remember how it goes. But we'll, we'll look at it um, from one side of it first and before we start breaking everything down. We'll go with the, the team that you know close, so the matchup that's probably closer to your professional career right now. Uh, we've got UConn in Miami. We have Eddie Hurley and uh, Jim Laranega. Uh Lorenega now making his second trip to the Final Four. He was able to take uh, George Mason, I believe, mm-hmm. earlier in the aughts. Uh, again, almost borderline to me, in my opinion. It's weird to think of Miami in that perspective because just because they're such a power historically, 
mid historically such a powerhouse on the football side of things. It's almost weird to think of George Mason and Miami in the same tier when it comes to basketball, but you really can't sneeze away the idea that this is like un completely unheard of to take two schools, two schools of that profile to the final four. Um, Kind of give me some of maybe some some of your uh, Laranega thoughts and just that Miami team in general, who has played extremely tough, showed a lot of heart against that Texas team uh, to come back and prove Texas just really can't get it done in any way, shape, or form when they're, they're the favorites. Yeah, this, this is an Oklahoma Sooners podcast, right? So 100%. We, have to, we do have to throw that in there. Um, I mean, first of all, props to Ronnie Terry taking over a job that, you know, was thrust upon him with a very stressful situation. And I think a lot of people would have looked at a second round win as a win for everything that he's gone through. So for him to lead that team all the way to the elite eight, you know, couldn't have, couldn't have deserved that head coaching, you know, cap more than that, but I'll lay off of that now because I know people aren't going <laughs> to say anything nicer about the Texas Longhorns. So uh, as far as Miami goes, they're such a fun team to watch. Like I think they've been one of the most charismatically feisty teams in this tournament. And a lot of that comes to their elite guard play, which is something that is going to be interesting to watch against UConn because UConn is so paint dominant with Adama Sinogo, who's um, 6'10", 6'11"-ish. And then you have their backup, who's actually productive, and Donovan Klingon, who's a freshman, 7'2". So you're not losing any size whenever Adama goes to the bench which just allows them to continuously beat down opponents again and again on the boards. So going up against those two styles, I think is going to be really interesting to see. I mean, Nigel Pack, for those who follow Big 12 basketball, he was you know, on Kansas State's roster last season. He then transferred to Miami, and he's just been leading them on a tirade, and he's one of the best guards in the country. So watching him there, I think he fits in well with their you know, style of play. And then you got Jordan Miller, who's just been balling out, I feel like. Uh, he, he did so many good things in their most previous game against, you know, Texas. Like, obviously, he had 27 points there. He was 13 of 13 from the line. He was 7 of 7 from the field. Like, come on. So you, you just get excited about the scoring. Um, I don't want to say, like, you know, the eliteness of the scoring of this Miami team. And yeah. then you're going to get a similar type from UConn who loves just to like be underestimated, which is funny because now they're the complete favorite. So they're going to have to like really try hard. I think to find that chip on their shoulder that they're so used to playing for, but I think you're going to see Jordan Hawkins really try to get things done from the perimeter. And it's going to be interesting that that game I'm really, really hyped for. I will say. Why do we, I mean, why, as someone who's not the biggest college basketball fan, why is UConn just the, the quote-unquote prohibitive favor at this point in time? I mean, if you're looking at just maybe the recent history, uh, you know, Miami last year made it to the lead eight. Uh, you know, it's a team that has like a cultural build that's trending upwards. Uh, UConn uh, made it to the round of 32 uh well, nope, I didn't do that at all. Nope, 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 nope. Six, so I made it to the first round uh, in the last two years, finishing third in their conference. Uh, and then fourth, actually, you know, I had a worse regular season of finishing, um, you know, fourth in the conference. But making it all the way to the final four doesn't seem to have that same positive trend line you would like to see. Um, now, you know, 15 and eight, 
all the way to 23 and uh, 10. Now you have 29 and 8. So there is that way on the record side of it. But in conference standings, that trend line isn't quite matching. And the uh, tournament uh, performance isn't quite matching as Miami's has. But for some reason, everywhere I'm reading and seeing it, UConn is like, you know, if you were to put money on somebody, they're the horse. They're the one you're going to put money behind. Why is that? Is that just due to a recent performance in the tournament? Or is there some stuff there that I'm not seeing that maybe Big East Conference uh, kind of covered up? Yeah, so I think it's a couple of things there. First of all, I do think that people kind of fall back to just their um, overall dominance as a program in their earlier years. You know, you yeah. go back to the Jim Calhoun era, and everyone knows that that's kind of what put the men's team specifically on the map. You know, he won three national titles during his time there, led them to uh, another Final Four during his time, but they didn't get championships. So four Final Fours, three national championships. So they do have a record of excellence following them now that I think some of the others, like obviously like teams like San Diego State and teams like FAU, they don't have. So that immediately kind of puts them out of the favorites conversation. And you spoke to, you know, them struggling in the Big East conference this season. And what's really interesting is I was listening to Dan Hurley on, uh, you know, speaking before this upcoming weekend. And he said that they just constructed this roster specifically for tournament play, not for the Big East, which makes sense when you think about the fact that the Big East plays a very physical, tough, um, really down low oriented style of play. And they don't focus a lot on perimeter shooting. And okay. you you can argue that obviously they UConn has their bread and butter with, you know, getting the ball to Adama Snogo as early as possible, getting him early looks that are just really high percentage shots at the bucket. And then, you know, you have him dominating the boards and you bring in Donovan Klingon, who's even taller. He's not, he doesn't have more finesse than Snogo, but he's even taller. So you're not really losing any size. You're not using any power or losing any power, excuse me, down low. But they now have this makeup where they have multiple perimeter threats in Jordan Hawkins, Tristan Newton, um, Alex Caravan, and they brought in Joey Calcaterra, who's been nicknamed Joey California because Dan Hurley cannot pronounce his last name. That's so, they, yeah, so they brought in Joey Calcaterra from uh, San Diego, actually. And uh, so they have multiple perimeter threats that can get the job done from there. They move the ball pretty well. I mean, they don't necessarily have poised guard play, but they have enough there that they can usually get the ball out when they need to. So, and then you, and then you bring in there just like completely tough. And this is where the big East play comes in. They do have a really tough, strong defense. That's going to make you pay for anything and is really not going to give you any breaks. So you put all of those factors together and that's why they've been successful in the tournament. And they were actually undefeated heading into conference play. So they've been undefeated against, non-conference opponents and that's followed them into the tournament so when you you know conglomerate all those things that's why UConn's looking like the heavy favorite it just yeah I, I can see it from that perspective um and I, I do want to say maybe potentially the, the name is somewhat personal grata uh ollie did win a national championship you have to say his name UConn won four of them <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, well I know I'm saying well like you know yeah he won it but you know that was like what a year after yeah, his first won. year. Yeah. 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 He still had Kemble Walker on the roster. Like, come on. I don't, I, you know what I mean? So it yeah, is true. It happened. It happened. Yeah, I, the, and then potentially I would say, I, I, I'm just not for sure how, how, how I stack this game up to UConn Miami um, 
um, a slate. I mean, UConn has shown it can survive, has shown it can play in a tough basketball conference, although the ACC was down for a ton of different reasons this year, uh, coming out on top of a conference, uh, coming out on, um, you know, not the conference, uh, their conference tournament. Duke won that, obviously, but showing that they can play tough basketball. They can play tough basketball in the conference, able to beat historical powerhouses uh, such as uh, Indiana, taking on the, um, what, what were they, the number two seed overall, uh, Houston, taking them down, I believe, uh, and then showing heart against Texas and coming back down. At one point, they were down 12 uh, in yeah. the second half and able to make that come back and win by seven. Um, to me, there just seems to be a willpower to that that I don't know. I mean, from like a sports writer's perspective, I just don't know if it can be overcome by UConn. That said, UConn has really been kind of putting the brakes to people uh, <laughs> this conference, uh, this I was, tournament. I actually forgot to add that they've beaten every single team in the tournament by double figures. Yeah. So, and no other team in the Final Four has done that. So that's another reason why they're they're a favorite. But. Sorry to interrupt. No, yeah, and, and they should be at that point in time. To me, this game is the most interesting because you do have, like you said, on, on the public side, you have a four-time champion uh, from 1999 till now. You have a team that's played, who's won four championships. I believe has won more championships since 99 than any other program. Uh, man, don't quote me <laughs> biblically on that, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. It's I think North Carolina has three, uh, but I'm pretty sure UConn has the most at that point in time. Um, Kansas, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's UConn before. Uh, mm -hmm. But then you have Miami, who has very, very little basketball, you know, historic, uh, uh, historic, you know, success at this point in time. But Laranega is a very, very good basketball coach. Had some ups and downs, kind of on the earlier on of the tenure of Miami, but now does seem to have them on the correct trend line moving forward. Um, for both of these teams, you, you mentioned uh, UConn having players coming in and stuff. We're just now seeing the NIL impact in full effect on college basketball, in my opinion, and a transfer portal at this time. Um, how much of that has played directly into this game specific, specifically before we go into the, the next one of seeing these teams roster makeup and kind of flipping and teams having the chance to, you know, one year to another, let's go. Well, I do think there is obviously an advantage of being a final four athlete. Like you see just a spike in the prices that they're able to charge for their NIL deals because they just have that qualification underneath them. And so um, I do think that that's definitely going to add, you know, some value to them just as athletes in general and um, deals that aren't as local, but as na more national based, depending on mm -hmm. the athlete, depending on like, if you're going to do a group or whatever. But I think that, I mean, probably Miami and UConn are the teams that are going to really be able to capitalize on that. I don't know about FAU. I know they're, you know, they've really done well to turn that program around a little bit since their head coach took over. But uh, I really think that UConn and Miami specifically, I mean, there's so many deals happening in Miami right now. Like you look at all the different things they got going on and they're really handling NIL. I think pretty well, all things considering, but um, UConn, I know, has been really trying to give give more room for their athletes to work. They have like different, I know Mark D'Amelio actually has uh, a collective that he's created with UConn to help their student athletes 
be able to negotiate with brands, help them, you know, with their own personal brand and just kind of lead them in that and not be negotiated out of a bad deal or, you know, negotiated into a bad deal and also like grow their social media following, which the D'Amelios obviously know a lot about. So I I think it's like obviously just going to help personally, but uh, I haven't seen many deals just from the past few days that have happened because of it. I think you're going to see them obviously following the tournament. Uh, I I think that that does change that that perspective of it, but how did potentially that impact these teams coming into it? Maybe not something that's happening in the moment, but you know, UConn has been able to turn in, you said you had some transfers coming in uh, on Miami as well. Uh, do you see that maybe holistically, just the, just the foundation of the sport, college basketball, you know, is able to be impacted much, much greater than uh, with the transfer portal in college football, because it only takes one, maybe, you know, at most two players to come into your program, and all of a sudden, Oh, you, you have a deep run, you know, because it, it, yeah. it's you only have so many people on the court at that point in time. Do you see this Final Four as an aspect of what we're going to see moving forward, or is this truly Duke was down, North Carolina was down, uh, the Tech uh, Kansas team was inherently flawed because they didn't have some toughness, you know, didn't have somebody in the center that's a little tough, you know, they be- one of head- their best players didn't have so their head coach as well, didn't have their head coach as well. I mean, one of their best players is a freshman uh, with a very yeah. funny last name. I mean, it's just like this wasn't going to work. I mean, there's all your historical powers had a lot of shifting and moving. Is it more that or is it more as we're seeing, I think, online, the pulse is NIL and Transfer Portal has in changed college basketball forever. And everyone's making that assumption kind of basically based on one year. Where do you fall in line on that? So I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest. Like, I don't think necessarily this is going to be like an example of, oh, this is what the basketball landscape is going to look like now forever. Like, I don't think we're ever going to, we're not going to see this crazy of an NCAA tournament in the next five years. So I don't like personally, I I would go on the record to say that. Um, I I would like, I'm serious. Like, I don't think you're going to see the next five years two five seeds, a four seed and a nine seed in the final no. four. Like, no. yeah, I really think that this was just a really crazy, wacky year in college basketball. You had, you had new coaches and blue blood years. You had a lot of variety and in injuries happening at wrong peaking times. Um, really kind of messing with numbers this season. And then you, and you're just getting um, a lot better. Like you're kind of talking with NIL, bringing in that secondary point you are seeing athletes think more like, okay, if I can make more money here versus this other school, even though maybe I like this other coach better, or I like this culture better, I want to go make more money. So I'm going to go over here. And so that's how you're going to see like individual schools kind of rise. And some of them fall just based on how they're able to direct their athletes towards these really great NIL deals. Because I mean, the, the better athletes are obviously going to have their own agents. So they're yeah. going to get either go where they want to go or um, just decide where they're going to make the most money and they have an agent handling that and that's fine. But you're going to have a huge group of these other athletes that probably in high school don't have the funds or like the need to have an agent yet and they need help from their university to help sanction those deals. And the universities that are more read up on it, more willing to help and lead them into these negotiations, 
clients and um, kind of produce some of these deals for them, I think are going to be the ones that ultimately start exponentially growing. So I do think there's a little bit of both. I think this year in particular was just pretty wild, to be honest. And the amount of like storylines that covered this season um, have been insane. But you also have the fact that I think you can see kind of where money's starting to flow from NIL. Yeah. You can see you can see spaces that are having these hotspots. And that's where these kids are really starting to uh, take control of that. Uh, so now we're going to look at just the game itself. I'm looking at the rosters. Uh, it does look like UConn has just an athlete advantage, especially on size. Uh, Miami does does not seem very large. Uh, see the players they lost. They lost a seven footer, a six ten, a six eleven guy, uh, and now they're basically the biggest guy on the roster is uh, six foot ten, and there's not many people around him at that point in time. Uh, UConn has a lot more size, more than I thought they would have, to be honest with you. Just looking at the rosters, uh, UConn. Um, in Miami basically score about the same. The issue comes on the defense side, Miami giving up 70 points a game, UConn giving up 58. And then UConn obviously, uh, maybe not obviously, but out rebounding uh, Miami uh, pretty significantly. I know I'm now, you know, the board man gets paid uh, and defense travels. Um, how do you see this game shaping out uh, between these two teams? I've, went through like so many thousands of scenarios happening through this game, just because their makeups are so diversely different. And we're going to talk about that in the next game too, because mm -hmm. I mean, these two teams are more talented than the other two on the other sides, but they're definitely like, geez, it's like, it's like comparing apples to oranges over there. But in terms of Miami versus UConn, I really think that the guards in Miami will probably have the upper hand on a lot of possessions. I think they are very confident. They're very poised down the stretch. They know how to control their own tempo. So on offense, if they're, if they're kind of threading those passes and they're finding their outside shooting, they're going to remain in a close battle with UConn. Where, like you were alluding to before, they fall into getting some uneasy territory is obviously any type of dominance in the lane whatsoever. I very, very highly doubt that that there's going to be a player on Miami that can tackle both Adamas Nogo and Donovan Klingon because you got to rest your guys at some point. And Donovan Klingon already has a four-inch height advantage on their highest player. Adamas Nogo is very seasoned. He's experienced, and he knows exactly how to get his shot every single time. He he can get floaters. He can get you know right you know pass a player with a good post move and get right to the bucket or he can get fouled and then he's going to the line he's he's a pretty good free throw shooter so and and then again with the boards they outboard all of their opponents based on the fact that they just have such good size and Andre Jackson I haven't talked about him yet but he's just the ultimate glue guy for UConn he's so athletic his hops are for days he's going for days with those and he has such long limbs which is why um he is kind of like an NFL and sorry not NFL <laughs> NBA prospect, uh, everything's getting convoluted these days. So you have these guys that are just, you know, really capable of getting boards anytime that they need them, especially with their athleticism. So I think that Miami just really needs to dive in deep and try to get as many turnovers as possible in order to stop UConn. But, you know, I think this game, could be close. And I, and I, and I said that against Gonzaga and then, you know, here I am looking mm -hmm. crazy. 
because that was just an insane point differential there. So I don't want to, you know, like a part of me is like, I think it's going to be close, but I mean like the, the, uh, UConn's favored by five and a half on this. So, you know, Vegas is saying it's going to be close, but then again, I'm like, every time they've proved me wrong, that games indeed are not going to be close for UConn. So, I mean, I just don't see a way that they're going to overpower every threat that UConn has. So, I mean, I, I think that UConn will ultimately end up with it. I think it'll probably be close at the half and then UConn will pull away in the second. Yeah, the, to me, the only way that um, Miami can pull this game off is is if they can get UConn to treat it like a track meet to a certain point in time. If they can get them running, if they can stay it moving, and because they already give up 70 points a game, it's like, hey, we're going to give it up. We just need you to give it up as well. <laughs> you know, if they can do that, if that can happen, uh, things can get kind of freaky. It is the Final Four. These players, they'll be playing in a – are they playing like on the giant massive stadium, right? NRG. NRG. So those games, uh, you know, especially for the shooting teams, usually kind of feel really weird. It takes them about a full half to kind of get that figured out. Your sight lines are very, very different. You're shooting the ball into like the void uh, to a certain <laughs> yeah. degree. You, you yeah. still have the sight lines how it is anymore. Um, yeah. You know, there's a, the, uh, like the Chicago Bulls, they have the, um, the two Bulls logos. Um, they're kind of on the other side of the, of the free, free throw line. Uh, other teams don't have those, but the Bulls historically have kept them there because they've been able to use those as sight markers for when they run plays and stuff. Uh, it's very, you can see it, how players just perform better at home because when they turn their head, they know there's a, you know, a thing there that you can see and go, okay, there's my sight line. It's just different when you're on the road. And it's massively different when you're playing in these giant stadiums with the, you know, the rims mic'd up and it sounds <laughs> super, super loud. Uh, but I think you're right. I think I think UConn's going to handle this because if anyone has shooting woes, that's going to be helpful for UConn with their defense and their ability to to out rebound. Uh, so now moving on to the to the game in which Vegas says is going to be the good game. Uh, <laughs> there's only a two point uh, difference here. Uh, I think ESPN pretty much has it like a a 42 to 57 percent on favorite on either side to having uh, San Diego State University as the favorite, which I don't know if I would. Um, both of these teams truly haven't – they've only been really, really pushed once in the tournament. You can say FAU with Tennessee was pushed twice, but I still think Tennessee was kind of riding off of the high of beating Duke, and then it came down. They're missing their players. Um, and then FAU was able to take on uh, Kansas State, being an actual real test down the line. Uh, San Diego State taking on the – and beating the number one overall seeded team in Alabama and uh, really taking care of them. I mean, it, it was a close game. Um early and then able to separate late. Um, it, it really showed some, some toughness on that part of it. You mentioned these, this, these are the two teams that are stylistically different. If you just look at their counting totals, uh, they're almost mirror images. <laughs> That's what's so strange about. It. They just get around doing it in much different ways. Um, preach to me FAU's case. How does FAU get past San Diego state? Um, to the to go make it to the championship game you know every time i've bet against fau this postseason i have been wrong <laughs> i had um like literally i mean if i was joking with someone i was i was like if i had picked fau instead of memphis i would have had the perfect elite eight but i didn't oh well yeah 
I had Memphis going to the elite eight and I was like, I just picked the wrong school and not crack it. But <laughs> yeah. So like every, and then, you know, they go against fair, fair Dickinson, fairly Dickinson. And I'm thinking, Oh, well like the Cinderella team, everyone's going to be rooting for them. They're going to be on this high for beating Purdue. They, they didn't beat anyone. FAU beats them. They go against Tennessee. And I think, I don't know. Tennessee has some size. Like, I don't think FAU can handle that. Oh, nope. Just kidding. They run them into the ground and they move on, go against Kansas state. And I'm thinking Kansas State, they have a bit more talent than FAU does. So especially with Marquise Noel playing in, you know, his backyard, I'm thinking, oh, they, they're, they're, it's going to be close, but I think that Kansas State will pull it out. Nope, FAU goes again. So I come into this game actually favoring San Diego State, and I still do. But FAU's case is they can catch anyone in a bad spot in any possession. So San Diego State likes to play very slow, very mm-hmm very much stylistically trying to run the clock out and then just get a really high percentage shot. FAU, if they can find a way to either trap or just really make San Diego State uncomfortable and force them to make bad passes, they're going to end up playing a running battle and in transition and get a lot of points off of that. If they can capitalize on fast break points, cause at least 15 turnovers, I think, um, and then, you know, obviously they need to shoot like at least probably like 80% from the free throw line. They can, they can probably go in a lot of shots and make San Diego state foul them because they're just a bigger imposing team. So if they, yeah. if they kind of play up some of the physicality of this game, I think that's how FAU can come out with it. I would, I would think that FAU in the national title game would be more entertaining versus mm-hmm. San Diego state. So as far as an entertainment standpoint, I think fans if you're a fan of basketball i would probably say go with fau but i i yeah anyway sorry i guess we'll get to san diego state in a minute <laughs> yep yeah yeah my, my the, the thing i would see it just just looking at it from a very caveman perspective is that uh winners win fau is 35 and 3 they've won more games than anyone else they've won the last 11 they know how to win it <laughs> make they may be tight games you know they beat memphis by one uh they were able to you know, put Tennessee down. They're able to barely squeak out Kansas State. It doesn't matter. They know how to win. There, there's some. They've been tested in that, and they know how to perform down the stretch and move that way. And there is some chaos to them. You know, they are some chaos to, uh, to that. Um, and if you're not able to withstand that, you can get really caught up into it. So I think it will be very interesting to see how a more structured. Uh, I won't say the word organized. I'll say I'll stick with structured, structured team in San Diego State. How they handle it when FRU decides to, you know, be the storm type of a thing <laughs> at that perspective. Um, so now give me the case of San Diego State. My assumption is that they're going to control the board and control the pace and uh, let's go to let's go to the championship game. I think so. It's kind of like one of those things where you watch like old men play basketball and you're yeah, like, yeah, me. <laughs> yeah i wouldn't put you in that category just yet i think you still got a little time but <laughs> i you know you watch old older guys play basketball and you're thinking like man this is so slow and then you see one of them just like completely juke someone out and hit a shot and they make it and that's that's kind of similarly to san diego state you know like any point of time i've i don't think i've ever seen san diego state look stressed during this tournament they're all like no nah, we're, we're coming in we're setting our own pace and we're keeping it. And it doesn't really matter what another team does. They're not going to overpower us. So when you come in with that confidence and you come in with a fact that 
they don't allow teams to speed them up. They don't allow people's presences to affect the way they're going to play. They've been dominant in that this entire tournament. I mean, you saw it against, uh, I was going to say, I was going to say Maryland. I was looking at the wrong thing. I guess you saw it against Alabama a little bit, but um, no team has really pressed them like FAU probably will. So Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see if that holds up in this game. But from what I've seen from San Diego State, they're just one of the most stoic basketball teams in this tournament. Like they use their size, they use their physicality, and they use just, they beat you to death by taking up all the time in that possession. Or they just get an easy shot off first and then they just go back on defense and and it's still so sound and so organized. Like I would say it's organized. I think their defense is very organized. So I think that if San Diego State does what they've been doing all tournament, which is just make everybody else pay, play to their own pace, they're going to win because F- that's all FAU really has is speeding teams up and making them make mistakes and forcing turnovers. So if San Diego State can keep that to a minimum, I think I think that game is theirs. So give me your pick between those two, and then we'll quickly run down your proposed title game. So, I mean, like, my pick is San Diego State, but my entertainment and chaotic heart hopes that FAU wins. <laughs> so we're going to go for uh, San Diego State and UConn for the na- for the national championship, the tourney, uh, everything on the line, both teams being a more of a defensive rebounding type of teams that – have uh, you know very structured, very efficient, we'll say, offenses. Uh, why am I going to watch a game that sounds like that? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, uh, <laughs> you, I'd be like, man, like, yeah. You've got on? two. You've got two teams which have similar styles. Um, again, I, we'll just go ahead and say this because we don't know what the championship game is going to be, but let's just say it's San Diego State and, and UConn at that point in time. Who pulls it out between those two? I mean, like at that point, I, I would still give it to UConn just because I don't I don't think San Diego State has as good a perimeter shooting as UConn does. Mm-hmm. And they're like Jordan Hawkins just loves the moment, you know, like I like he's one of those players that is just like, I'm going to shut everyone up. And I like I literally know that I am and it doesn't matter when it happens. He will light up and he'll go on a stretch where he scores like 12 points in like six minutes and he'll just make like, you know three or four threes within a stretch. And you're like, all right. So there's Jordan Hawkins. He showed up. Cool. And that's all he needs to do to like change the entire momentum of the game for UConn. And then they just completely just douse everyone with a tidal wave of, of uh, dominance basically. So, I mean, the rebounding would probably catch, I think UConn by surprise having someone that can actually go pound for pound with them down low so I think they would have to work through that, obviously. But I would just assume that since they're such a balanced roster, they're going to be able to find their shots better than San Diego State is. They're going to be able to have a little bit more shiftiness in their offense. And I mean, you're looking at, you know, UConn has a number four ranked offense. San Diego State has a number three ranked defense. So for that side of the ball, it would be really, really fun to watch those two teams go at it specifically. On the opposite end, it's, you know, like, you're slightly more like, what are we seeing here? What are we going to get here? But um, I do I do still like UConn just based on the fact that their, their roster is more balanced. They have a very deep bench that they can count on, and that's proved themselves to be vital in this tournament. So also forgot to mention that Adama Sinogo is observing Ramadan right now. So he's been fasting from sunrise to sundown this entire tournament, and 
like eating at 5 a.m. before the sun comes up. Yeah. And then during the half time of his games, then like getting in all this fruit that he can to get energy and then go back out there. And he's still putting up like 20 point performances. So if he can do that on empty stomach, I'm like, yeah. dang, I guess I'm not worried about them then. Shoot. So, <laughs> um, so I, I, I would put my money on UConn just because of the sheer amount of like resourcefulness that they come to when they need to make plays matter in the moment. Like they just have, they just have a way of like turning on a switch and they just get it done. So that's why I would give the edge to UConn. There's my expert analysis with no stats. Uh, speaking of being on the empty stomach, um, you having some insider information about the Houston cuisine scene. Mm. If I, if I had one place, if everyone who listens to this, maybe they're heading down there, what's the one place in Houston that you're like, hey, this is my favorite? Not Maybe it's not like the one you, you go on Google and it's their top five star or whatever, but where's a place that you like that say, hey, if you got time, go check it out, but don't blow the spot up? So I'm going I'm to I'm put you on this right now. It's, <laughs> it's a breakfast spot. Okay. Like literally one of the best breakfast spots in Houston it's not like the Instagrammable one. It's like the greasy, like they, my favorite thing they have there is chicken wings and waffles. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. They like, it's always like lined up down the, down the street because like you don't, there's no one that like sits you at a table, you know, yes. you have to order at the counter and then they bring the food to you. Yeah. So the line will go like out the street. There's no wait list. So get, get there early y'all. And it's Breakfast Club with a K at the club. Okay. So that, I mean, like, it's just like good Southern, good, well-seasoned, amazing breakfast food. You literally cannot go wrong. That's all I'm going to say. That's a good one. That's what it is. The Breakfast Club. Uh, well, our little personal Breakfast Club meeting that, that we're having right now is com coming to an end. So, Christine, thank you so much for doing this. This is the uh, the third and final one we're going to do um, Maybe I'll have you on to talk about this, the overall thing. But if you guys want to hear, uh, for some reason, you want to go back in time and listen to our uh, breakdown of the initial uh, first first round and second round and then the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, check it out you on the Patreon how, through the keyhole. You can hear how right I was about Houston. Very, very right about Houston. I don't want to get into it. We got death threats. It was bad. Had some bombing. Had some white powder <laughs> sent to the, through the keyhole. <laughs> uh, uh, but if you want to listen to more of this type of insider information and listen to Christina, she's kind of breaking these games down, go check us out at uh, uh, patreon.com slash through the keyhole. It's only $4 a month. That's like half a cup of coffee. Uh, that's all you got to do to help us out. Uh, it helps us bring on other insiders and people that really talk about the uh, you know college sport as a whole. When OU football isn't quite at the top of the uh, the headlines, which I'm actually very very happy OU football isn't at the top of the headlines in the off season right now. That's what a nice quiet off season of the team getting better, <laughs> and then then we can talk about it in the fall. Uh, so very happy, and I have to talk about Lincoln Riley and Brent Venables, and everyone's coming back, and is OU dead? No, they're not. And then whatever, spring games in April, and then a nice quiet summer, hopefully. Uh, but out, out, anything else? Um, I am Peyton Guthrie. I'm uh, signing off for Matt, who isn't here, and for Alan, who isn't here, and for Christine of um, uh, CT Insider. Where, where can they find you at? Where, where's where's the handle? Where's all the stuff? Twitter, you can find me at cb on sports they're my initials um every basketball take i pretty much talk about all the time i post my stories up there so if you're interested in uconn coverage or if you're from connecticut and somehow listening to this 
go ahead and check that out. But uh, yeah, that's where I post most of my stuff. Check us out, Ian. We're still we're still killing it out here. We're still killing we're it. Still on killing streets. it. Still killing it. You'll you'll find her at the Breakfast Club <laughs> oh, this weekend every single morning. Really hitting it up, hitting it hard, hitting the chicken wings and uh, and waffles. Uh, but without any further ado, thank you guys for listening. Thank you everyone for supporting us. Uh, remember, if you're going to watching the games and you're needing a place to uh, watch and sit them while you're in Oklahoma City, hit up Vanessa House. Great place, great beer. It's all there. Uh, the founder may even be there. Uh, it is what it is. But without any further ado, once again, Boomer! Boomer! There we go. He's done it.